the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Lizzie. I am, well, I'm a mum some of the time. Well, I guess I'm a mum all of the time. That's what I do some of the time. I'm a primary school teacher three days a week, and I'm a member here at Belmont. And it's lovely to be with you this morning, and I'm excited uh, to talk to you. So, if, like me, you grew up in a Christian family, um, then it's possible that you have no idea when you first came into contact with some concepts, ideas, and stories in the Bible, because they've been part of your life for the whole of your life. But today's verse of the day is actually an exception in my life. I can remember the first time I heard about this verse. The exact circumstances escape me, but it certainly involves a windy street corner in Edinburgh. And me and my dad had been out doing something together. We got to the end of doing our thing, and my dad produced from his pocket his mobile phone. Now, my dad was an early adopter of the mobile phone, partly because he had his own business and he ran it from our house. So his clients, they needed a way to contact him. So he had this mobile phone. And my dad, he produces it out of his pocket and he turns it on, which I remember being as much a palaver then as it was now. He turns it on, chug, 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 or some kind of mobile phone magic, and on his screen flashes... Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. I'm guessing 12-year-old me turns to my dad and says, Dad, those are amazing words. How did you think of them to put as your screensaver? And on a windy street corner in Edinburgh, my dad explained to me he hadn't thought of those words. He'd taken them straight from the Bible. They were on his mobile phone when he turned it on because every single time he went to work and did some work, that is how he wanted to do it. Acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with his God. And my dad had that right there to remind him. So if you've been following our recent series on um, the Bible Jesus read, you'll know that we've considered God as the creator, the good God who is the creator. You'll You'll remember we considered God as the covenant maker with Abraham. You'll remember that we had God the redeemer in Exodus and God the true king as a summary of David. And so today, we find ourselves looking at the prophets. Not just one prophet. My brief for today is to talk about every single prophet in the Bible. So, like, we're talking, like, Samuel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all the minor prophets. Oh, and there's a little side note to remind me that Miriam and Deborah are really important, too. So I hope you brought a big coffee, right? Well, actually, it made me think was looking at my Bible sideways on, right? A bit like this. 
It's really easy to see where the New Testament starts in my Bible. It's well-thumbed, and bits of cake from home group have definitely got involved in those pages. Genesis is looking pretty good, and the Psalms have definitely had some work. I'm confident I've read every page of the prophets. They do not look as well-loved. But actually, what we've got in the prophetic literature is some really important material. It's going to teach us about God and his character. So right now, let's just say it as it is. Yes, the prophets are really hard to understand. They write in poetry. That can be a total nightmare to understand. They write about history of places where I don't know that where they're talking about, and I don't understand the backstory. But, why read the prophets? Well, Philip Yancey, in his book called The Bible um, Jesus Read, says, why read the prophets? There is one compelling reason to get to know God. The prophets are the Bible's most forceful revelation of God's personality. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, for the last few months, I have read the prophets quite a lot, And that is my conviction that Yancey is right, that you will get to know God's um, personality as you read them. So as we think about looking back over the series so far, I hope that you'll see that the prophets reflect everything that we've seen so far about God's character and his interactions with human beings. And I think in the prophets, you hear the echoes of the goodness of God the echoes of the covenant love of God and God's desire that we live in a way that brings him glory. So just before we really dive into the prophets, um, there are a few challenges, yes, but there are ways to orientate yourself when you're reading the prophets. Forgive me if you already know this, but if you don't, this might be really helpful. Firstly, it's really, really helpful to know about the prophets Prophets are, they're called God's mouthpiece. So they're saying the things that God wants them to say. Primarily, the work of the prophets is to foretell, which means they are speaking God's words into their current situation. So we're reading what the prophets were saying to people a really, really long time ago. But we're reading what God was saying to those people a really long time ago. And the reason that God is speaking is not just to fill the place with noise. God is speaking because he is seeking to see some change in the way that people are behaving. That is the purpose of him speaking. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the prophets foretell. So they're speaking God's words about the future. And this is where it can get really, really confusing Because sometimes the prophets foretell about something that's going to happen in 5, 10, 15, 20 years' time. Sometimes they foretell about Jesus coming, and sometimes they foretell about the second coming of Jesus. There is a bit of work to be done to understand the prophets. But how else can you get into understanding the prophets? 
Well, it's really helpful to find out who they are, where they're from, and who they're speaking to. Lots of the prophets start by giving you that information. Then you can flick back to the book of Kings and Chronicles and see what was going on at the same time that they were speaking. It begins to join all the bits of writing in the Bible together, and somehow that makes everything make more sense. When I first moved to Exeter, I had never, ever been to Exeter before. I knew almost nothing about Exeter, except I had a strong conviction that this is where we were meant to be living as a family. And it was a bit overwhelming. I knew none of the landmarks, didn't know how to get anywhere. But what I discovered was that as I began to leave the house, get horribly lost, I began to discover things that people were talking about. At first, I knew where Morrison's and Belmont were. And then I could navigate to other places using, well, I'd go to Belmont and then go a bit further around that big road. And then I gradually began to tie up different places altogether. It is my experience that as you read the prophets, it's similar to my first experience in Exeter. It's a bit overwhelming at first when you've got no idea where anything is. But as you gradually dive in, you begin to spot the landmarks, see them coming again, and be able to use them to navigate your way around the prophets. If you're actually really keen to read the prophets and you want some help with this orientation business, I would like to strongly recommend the Bible Project videos. Just Google Bible Project. They have these amazing six minutes or so introductions to different books. They give you lots of the landmarks that can help you to understand what you are reading. And there's also these, oh, these posters, there we go, that they produce for different books of the Bible and they talk through. And you can keep referring back to that as you study a book and begin to understand it. I found that a really successful way to engage with what the prophets have to say. So we are trying to talk about all the prophets today in the context of the Bible that Jesus read. But today we have one verse to hone in on. And it is tricky to find in your Bible. But we're looking at Micah 6, verse 8. And our verse for today, it says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Really beautiful words, words that really lend themselves to being stuck on your fridge or your computer um, background or perhaps even your phone screen. Now, I think if we're going to really understand them, we need to have a quick think or a longer than quick think about what else is going on in the book of Micah. So, firstly, at the beginning of Micah, yes, at the beginning of Micah, he is introduced And Micah is speaking to a context of the southern kingdom. And then throughout, and you're told the kings that he is speaking to. And in the book of Micah, you get three cycles. And they're quite depressing cycles. 
So first of all, God gives a call to hear his word. Then, and through the cycles, it gets increasingly forceful. There is a judgment for sin, particularly the judgment for sin is about the affluence, that is meaning that people aren't caring about others, that justice is administered with corruption, and that the people are taking on religious performances rather than worshipping God. So it starts with a call to hear God's words. God judges and he calls out the sin for what it is. And then the cycle ends with a promise. A promise that there will always be a remnant of the people who are saved. The Lord will be their king and there is the hope of forgiveness. And it cycles through the book of Micah round this call to worship God, calling out sin, judgment for sin, and the promise cycle three times before we get to Micah 6, 8. I feel like that cycle can sound a bit like my life sometimes, where God calls something out. I remember, I change, I remember his promises. God calls me out, I go round this cycle. I feel that maybe the prophets are reflecting something I see in my own life. Perhaps that's your experience too. So Micah and the prophets, the whole book, all of the prophets, they're teaching us that the Lord is in sovereign control of world history. When we watch or read the news, we very quickly see that the world is in a terrible place. The prophets tell us that God is not merely the God of just his people, but he is the God of everyone. The prophets call us to an affirmation of faith to say that God is still in control as he always has been. If you know me, you know I have two smallish children called Sam and Becky. And Sam and Becky are quite keen on this book. It's called Extraordinary Women of the Bible. I don't quite know why it tickled their imagination quite as much as it did. They really got them. And in this book, the story of Deborah is recorded. She is in Judges 4, if you want to read her story later on. Deborah knew in her life that God was in control. And she knew that God was in control of everything. In her story, we see that God is both in control of his armies, but also in sovereign control over Caesarea, the commander of another country's army. So what do the prophets teach us? Firstly, I think they teach us that God is in sovereign control of all world history. Secondly, I think Micah and all the prophets teach us that God demands justice and politics matters to God. So the prophets show us that the moral health of the whole nation, as well as each individual Christian, matters to God. This is why when you come to church, I think you have to expect that the Bible will speak into our political and economic context. And it might not be that comfortable. And like the prophets before us, 
We may suffer because, our, because of our message and the challenges that it places in the way that people are living and leaders are leading. There is absolutely no doubt, as we have watched the news this week, that there has been evil shown to us going on in our world this week. Reading the prophets, reflecting on the character of God, has made me sure that God is a God of justice and will call those responsible to account and that he will be merciful to those caught up in that situation. Final point here, I think Micah and the prophets teach us that outward religion without ethical transformation is abominable to God. If you know the prophet Samuel, you'll know that he said that obey is, to better, is better than sacrifice. Amos and Isaiah also share this message that it's not about your outward religion, it's about your heart transformation. Jeremiah made it clear that our worship was to reflect God's character and his commitment to righteousness, justice, faithfulness, and love. And that was God's delight. So, this is what the prophets teach us in general. We find ourselves back at Micah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. When I read that, I remember back to the first sermon in this series, to God as creator of a good world. God doesn't leave us wondering what is good, wondering and not knowing what to do. He's told us and he's shown us how to live. He wants us to act justly. Micah is completely clear that the leaders in his time were not doing that. And this challenge to act justly is definitely a challenge to those of us among us who hold leadership positions, whether at work or in church or in the community. Those people, their actions have implications for those under their leadership. And I think the, the, the call to act justly requires us to pray and reminds us to pray for those in political leadership in our country. But I don't think acting justly is just confined to the leaders. I think this is a challenge for each one of us. I found myself wondering in the last couple of weeks how my actions can act justly. I found myself wondering how my buying habits can cause me to act justly towards everyone in the world. I found myself wondering if I need to consider if I'm acting justly at work, taking credit for someone else's work where I should have made sure that someone else got the credit. I've been wondering how I can act justly in the playground when I pick up my kids. In my interactions with other parents, am I making sure that no one is left out? That feels like a way of acting justly. 
Those are some of the ones that sprung to my mind. But I'm sure in the conversations we have in home groups in the next week, we'll begin to consider the opportunities we all have in our day-to-day lives to act justly. The Lord requires me to lo- requires all of us to love mercy. Now I think if we're completely honest, when we've seen an injustice done to us, we do love a sense of justice being done. You know that feeling that that has been sorted out, justice is done. I feel like I really want that. But This passage says, I am to love mercy. Which makes me wonder how I can love mercy in my day-to-day life. Now my dad, when he had this verse on his phone, his job was as an accountant. And in his um, job, in his company, what he was trying to do was prevent other people's companies going bust. And when he did his job well, people's jobs were saved. 300 people one day, apparently, saved their job because of the work that he was able to do. My dad's job was to work out what had gone wrong in the other companies, to see the problem, and then work out a solution with the banks to find mercy for them. I feel like that was an example of someone loving mercy and bringing it into their working life. It's very, very important here to say that loving mercy does not mean that I am disregarding the seriousness of sin. I absolutely still recognize the seriousness of sin. But reading the prophets over the last few months has definitely made me love mercy more. The final part of this verse, walking humbly with your God, This is another way um, that God has shown me how he wants me to, to follow him. This is a call to worship from Micah. And I feel sure that it's a call to spend time with God in prayer and reading the Bible. It's a challenge walking humbly with your God to whole life discipleship. Now you should know that in this point in my sermon preparation... My body language was pretty much like this. Oh, no. I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt completely, completely overwhelmed. This is an enormous heart transformation to act justly, to love what mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And it's for each of us. But in that moment, As I prayed, I remembered. This is the Bible Jesus read. That, that is what he did. Jesus certainly took to heart Mary and Joseph's teachings of this passage. I wonder which story springs to mind for you when I ask you, When did Jesus act justly? For me, it's Jesus in the temple with the money changers, where he sees greedy people and acts for those who want to worship. When did Jesus love mercy? 
For me, it's the woman caught in adultery who is not punished, but is forgiven and is able to go and live. When did Jesus walk humbly with his God? The Garden of Gethsemane, when we overhear his prayers as he pleads with the Father, that he doesn't have to go through the coming punishment, but he always says, not your will, not my will, but yours. And as I thought about that, I realized again, the prophets talk about the character of God, so they always point to the cross. The prophets knew that God had acted in history to redeem the people and to deliver them out of Egypt. God gave them the law, which is the foundation for the message of the prophets. The prophets remind the people of the commitments that they had made. The prophets remind of God's warnings and his prophets. But the prophets also know that judgment will not be God's final word. If we flip onto the New Testament, we'd be able to read in Romans that the wages of sin is death. Jesus on the cross, acting justly, dying in my place, in your place. The cross is the ultimate act of mercy where we are absolutely not getting treated as we deserve. Walking humbly with his God, what Jesus did perfectly all his life. And this takes me straight back to the words of the prophets. When you read Micah 7, it is abundantly clear They tell us about hope, that things won't always be as they are now. The prophets tell us that one day everything will be put right. The prophets are challenging to read, to listen to, to hear, because they point to areas in our lives where we are not living as we should. The prophets are hopeful because they point to the fact that we know what Jesus has done. Sorry, the prophets are more hopeful for us to read now because we know about what Jesus has done. And we can be filled with the Spirit and able to live as God wants us to. The prophets point us to the second coming of Jesus. And with that, we know that we have a secure future. Knowing Jesus does seem to make the prophet's message even more challenging. But I also know that as Christians, the Holy Spirit is at work in each one of us, making that transformation happen. So this week, this week, I am praying that each of us will act justly love mercy, and walk humbly with our God.